This episode of Tales from the Backlog is brought to you by the wonderful people who have signed up to support over at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Those personal heroes are Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zulgeek, Colby Moyer, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Jill, Kieran, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, aka Stormageddon, JD, new patron Stephen Pay, and many more. Those fine folks have all gone once again to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to kick me a few bucks, and in return, they're getting the right to vote on games to come up on the show, bonus episodes, and much more. You can be just like them. Once again, that is patreon.com slash realdavejackson. All right, on to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to take a game out of the backlog and discuss our times with it. My guest today is a friend of the show, a games writer who's worked for Game Informer, Screen Rant, Destructoid, and the indie game website, currently writing for the Indie Informer, longtime sea captain, Jill Grote. Welcome to the show, Jill. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Sea captain, I feel like I should be like, yar, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll work on the pirate voices as we work our way through. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Dredge, but uh, before we get into that, there's a, I think that we, we picked a good game for us to talk about because, like I said, you're writing for your own website, The Indie Informer. So if people are not familiar, could you just give a little pitch for what the site is? Yeah, um, so The Indie Informer came about actually sort of out of a sad situation. Uh, Game Informer had layoffs. I was not laid off. Um, but just it being the place that I'd always dreamed of going and then suddenly having all that dream be over for a lot of my friends was mm-hmm. very heartbreaking for me. So I decided to cut away from sort of the more uh industrialize isn't the right word that i'm looking for but all of the games journalism that's run by larger corporations that Mm -hmm. you can't really stop from doing things like that uh to start my own website and the indian former specifically the name comes from the moniker i was given by my coworkers at game informer because i was constantly trying to like sneak indies in wherever I could, because that is my personal, uh, where my personal interests lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so while I was there, I was the quote unquote Indian former. Gotcha. And then when I left, I'm like, that's, that's perfect. That's what I want to do. So I started up a, a website where I wouldn't have to worry about layoffs. And um, I can try to shine a spotlight on the smaller games that may not get as much coverage. Um, mm-hmm. But are, to my mind, usually more interesting. Yeah. So that's the plan. Yeah, the um, the indie scene I've said on the show lots of times. It's it's where like 
not to say that there's no innovation in AAA, but the indie scene is where you see people taking like big creative swings with this like one idea that they've had, and you get a lot of really unique stuff out of that. And it's really cool to uh, have people out there, creators who are focusing on stuff like that. So like ever since um, I, I heard you on um, uh, Fun and Games uh, with Matt and Jeff, mm-hmm. and uh, ever since then I've been following your site, and I I, I really appreciate people who are putting the spotlight on games that I've never heard of most of the time. Um, and I like, I, I spend all day talking to people about video games and stuff. So when I see those uh, reviews come up, I'm like, I have no idea what that game is. I, mm-hmm. I love seeing stuff like that. So um, I think you're doing great work. And I'm excited to talk to you about our game today, uh, which is Dredge. Um, oh. Yeah. By the time people hear this, uh, Dredge is going to like the, the release window hype for dredge is going to be it's over so it's it's in backlog territory now but i was lucky enough to get in uh with a review code for this like the first review code i've ever gotten it was very cool oh exciting yeah so uh, i was excited to play this before though we'll get into that uh first a little bit about dredge dredge if you don't know what it is it is a fishing and crafting type game developed by black salt games and published by team 17 for uh, contemporary consoles in 2023. Uh, Like I said, I was provided a review code. I do want to make that clear. So thank you to Team 17 for providing that. Same here. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Team 17. Uh, And a little elevator pitch is at the beginning of the show for Dredge. Um, I wrote down that uh, you catch fish to make money to upgrade your boat to catch better fish to make more money. But some things are better left in the depths. <laughs> uh, and then my particular view of the game is that it is basically the soul of a, a tabletop RPG thrust into the corrupted body of a fish, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. or just a fishing game in general, I guess. And yeah, more ominous music. Bum bum bum. We'll do. I think we'll do that a lot throughout this yeah. podcast. The, if there's if there's been a game recently on the show for ominous music, uh, this is the one. Uh, this took me. 10 to 15 hours to play and do some side stuff. Um, I played on Switch. Was that your uh, playtime too around? Yeah, right around there. And I played it on PC mostly. I mean, a lot of my playthroughs too, I did several different previews of this game beforehand. So Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of stuff, like it's hard to count all of the hours because I did a lot of stuff over or like retread a lot of things. But in that 10 hour window is about where people who don't play it over and over again should expect to land. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think um I spent a lot of time being more careful than I probably needed to be, but that's kind of what the, Whoa, the game Absolutely. Yeah. You get so paranoid and you're like, "Oh, oh it's dark is almost here. I'm not even going to try. I just got to run." Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we'll get into all that because I do think it's one of the game's strengths. Um, Before we get too deep, though, I do want to let everybody know that this is a regular spoiler policy for the show. Um, Every episode is like this. Uh, This one's no different. We're going to do a deep dive on kind of surface level thoughts about the story, but then deep dive the mechanics and stuff like that. We'll do a, a hard spoiler wall. So if you haven't played, you can listen for a while. Check down in the show notes for a timestamp for when to go push out into the sea. I don't lost uh, words there. Anyway, uh, Jill, (laughs) you said you did a lot of like um, coverage for Dredge. Mm -hmm. So what was it that interested you in the first place? What was the thing that 
hooked you. Fishing pun number one for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You got a million of them, folks. Um, So my first sort of introduction was a Steam Next Fest, and it was last year, so I can't remember exactly which one it was. I feel like it might have been fall, but don't quote me on that. Um, So it was just a game that I happened to, like, check out in a pile of other games that I was checking out at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just immediately one of those games that you knew, like, I knew this was going to be something special. Like, there is something here. There is a mixture between this kind of cozy uh, fishing and, like, like you were saying, that loop of catching fish, making money, upgrading, that pulls you in and sort of makes you uh, play more and more and not realize that time is passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just beautiful artwork and like, oh, there's a charming coastline and seagulls are baying in the background and I'm just catching fish and this is great. And then uh, you realize that there's something sinister happening mm-hmm. in kind of the background of all of this. And that is a mystery that pushes you onward to see what's really going on and like that's really what draws you in because as far as like fishing goes like i enjoy a good fishing minigame i've never really had a problem with any game that has a fishing minigame um but this was like just from the first onset like this is going to be a much richer experience than just going out and fishing and and you know numbers go up and i feel better about that yeah for me, it was more of the like cosmic horror side of the elevator pitch that drew me in because I'm not really a fan of the crafting treadmill games. Um, like kind of Subnautica kind of comes to mind. Uh, that's obviously more survival than this game, but I really like got bored with Subnautica because I, I just don't like the infinite craft this so that you can craft this so that you can craft this type of thing. I need something else. And the the story in Subnautica wasn't as upfront as it is in Dredge to kind of hook me with that that kind of cosmic horror thing. So that was what made me want to like reach out and try and get a code. But also, I would have bought this anyway uh, because I'm pretty interested in video games that explore that kind of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you said it that like there is something deeper to this game than like just that kind of shallow crafting loop. And I agree to get into some just quick opening thoughts. Um, I really enjoyed my time with this uh, and both sides of the elevator pitch worked for me. Obviously that kind of crafting loop is really, really finely tuned, uh, really well set up, kept me going. It's a really hard game to put down. Mm -hmm. And then also that kind of cosmic horror story kept that part of me entertained as well too. So like, I said this took me 10 or 15 hours to beat. I probably beat this in like four or five days. Like it was one of those where I I would sit down, I'd be like, oh, it's an easy game to play for 15 minutes, but it's not an easy game to only play for 15 minutes. Yes. Once you pop, you can't stop. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, I think for me too, the other thing, like I led with my elevator pitch, is that I am a big fan of tabletop RPGs. And Mm -hmm. this is really structured in that way where you go to the main place, you 
like, I don't want to spoil anything yet, but like all of the um, descriptions of places, all of the descriptions of people, all of the like flavor text of the things you see, the things you experience, the things that seem off, like all of it is like you have an excellent DM in front of you, just Mm -hmm. like painting the world, even though you can see it. Like the way that the language uh, colors what you are looking at really makes it so much more beautiful in some way and and more intriguing and more um, like mysterious too because sometimes you're reading something and you're like, I don't know exactly what they mean by this. Like I need to know. And that that need to know is the thing that constantly kind of pushes me to play this game more and more yeah both of those the need to know and the need to craft a better engine and a better fishing rod and stuff like that yeah both of those work so we are going to listen to a little bit of music and then when we come back we'll set up the story So in Dredge, you play as an unnamed fisherman. Uh, in the opening cutscene, your boat is run up against some rocks and destroyed. Uh, out of nowhere, these rocks appear. You find yourself in this seaside village called Greater Marrow, uh, which you were talking about the language used in here. Great name for a seaside town uh-huh, uh, in a 100%. horror game, Greater Marrow. Um, the mayor lends you a used fishing boat whose owner is um, gone. Don't ask any questions. Mm-mm and <laughs> quote unquote lens yeah lens it's a it's a real tom nook situation with the mayor yeah. at the beginning um the mayor tells you to go out catch some fish uh to pay off the boat um but sooner or later you're going to get yourself wrapped up in the mystery of what's going on uh with this so that's all i'm going to say about the story um i've said it's cosmic horror uh the developers specifically avoided saying the name yeah. Lovecraft. That was a really interesting tweet. I caught that a few days ago. Yeah, I saw that too. So they didn't want to say the name Lovecraft. I'm going to say the name Lovecraft because it's yeah. a shorthand for uh, the type of horror and the type of mysteries that are out there. Stuff better left un- uh, covered up, we'll say. Stuff better left at the bottom. So um, I said this was a big thing for me. Is this a big like interest for you too? these Lovecraftian or cosmic horror type of stories? Yeah, I, it is an interesting brand of horror to me than like a, a big gore fest or something that's like a jump scare sort of thing. Because it's yeah, it is one of those types of storytelling mechanics that's just it worms its way into your brain and you can't stop thinking about it. And that's really mm-hmm. the kind of scary part because you're just like going about your day and all of a sudden like there's a there's a thread. Yeah. <laughs> and this game does this all very, very well. Yeah. Like I'm so like chomping at the bit to spoil everything. So I'm trying really hard not to. <laughs> yeah. But. We we will get to that later. But I agree. I, I think this game does a really good job of that. And like so my favorite thing about these types of stories is how there are sinister things. There are usually monsters and stuff like that. But that's not the point of the story is not a monster that's trying to kill you or like 
you know, a, a demon or a, a serial killer or something like that. They're, they're stories that are not usually full of gore and jump scares and stuff like that. It's more of that, like, I know I want to go find out what's there, but I know that what I find out is going to be really fucked up and I don't, like, I, yeah. I might not be happy with what I find. And that's much more satisfying to me than, like, a... I, I don't want to pick on Five Nights at Freddy's, but it's much more interesting <laughs> to me than a Five Nights at Freddy's type, you know, jump scare fest or something. Yeah, and definitely the Lovecraftian style of horror is more interested in man's uh, struggle with wanting to always know, but knowledge in some cases, in most of the cases in a Lovecraftian story, is the, the danger, and yeah. you will like reap the benefits or dangers of that knowledge so like most of it is about madness and knowing the unknown or coming face to face with the unknowable and just knowing that that sort of unfathomable horror is out there cracks your very soul open like mm -hmm. that is such an interesting uh like thread to follow Versus yeah. like, oh, I got scared for a second because you took like a second to go boo. You know? Yeah. Something busted through a door right in front of me. Yeah. Um, I, I do think this game is a, it, it, it teases you at the beginning with um, kind of like you said, what the people say in the village, the way that they talk, they're, they're not full on, you know, madness all the time, but they, they do give you that hint of like, Hey, there's something out there you should like, just, just don't, just go catch some fish and come back. Like, right. don't go digging where you shouldn't dig. <laughs> and in general too, they're just like, it's bizarre, right? Because the opening, I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, like the opening, you crash, you crash yeah. onto a beach that you are a stranger on and they act like that's completely hundred percent normal. You know, and then they put you up in a boat and expect you to be kind of an indentured servant for a while. And that's totally normal. So it's right. like you already have hints that something very wrong is happening here because that's just not how people behave. It's not OK. <laughs> if right. someone were to, like, wash up on my doorstep, I would not be like, oh, hey, wake. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, get into the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's how you can pay off your... Uh like my kindness, basically. Yeah. Um, you can work for me for a while until I feel like you've paid it off. Yeah. Um, so just uh, some general story thoughts here at the beginning, obviously no spoilers, but um, I, I did think that the story is fairly simple. Um, it doesn't spin out a wide web that it's not able to tie up at the end. Um, basically all the mysteries that I felt it introduced got a good conclusion um, pretty satisfying in that way. It, it's not going to go up to the top of like my favorite Lovecraftian stories, but it was satisfying enough. And, you know, not everything has to be up at the top of my favorite stories. This is a, uh, this is a game with a lot of other like focus, uh, you know, like gameplay focus, that stuff that's really finely tuned. So the story I thought was satisfying, not incredible, but satisfying, fun go with you on that one it's um a game story that's uh easy to miss parts of mm -hmm. um so that can definitely change your experience of the game uh so if you are playing it like it is one of those games that you 
might want to be paying attention to uh, all sorts of things happening in the world and like mm-hmm. different little things that you find or different character speeches to kind of piece everything together because I was taken aback by how different things can be interpreted if you don't have certain information or if you choose to do things or not to do things. So, yeah. but that again, that intrigues me as a, uh, as a gamer. Like I enjoy a game in which I can talk to someone and be like, Oh, did you enjoy that moment when blah, blah, blah. And then they go, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, so that is always sort of a dangerous thing to do in a game, but it's the sort of game that I enjoy a, a great deal. Yeah. Um, a lot of the story, like, a lot of the things that will actually spell out the story for you are things that you can find around the world and not things that people just straight up tell you. Mm-hmm. So it does reward you for exploring around. And, uh, you know, if you find a, a message in a bottle, I don't always read those things in every game I play. Right. In this game, I wanted to read them because they started to give me really cool uh, story background. So that is... um it's rewarding for people who are going to go out and explore, take the time to read notes that they pick up and stuff like that. Um, I'm interested in the spoiler section to hear uh, if our understandings of the stories were different because uh, I didn't find everything. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely get into that in a bit. Let's uh, let's talk about the gameplay in Dredge. So okay. like I said, we start off with an Animal Crossing type debt uh, situation. You need to catch fish to pay off the uh, boat. But unlike Animal Crossing, I think I've never played one. Um, it doesn't take you a long time to do this. You'll pay off the boat really quickly. Yeah. Uh, fish are valuable in this game, apparently. Yes. <laughs> so, it's a, you know, it's a fishing village. That's how they're making their uh, their livelihood. But yeah, yeah, I, I am a fan of Animal Crossing. And unlike that, this is really just a system to get you hooked again yes. uh, on, <laughs> on what what the loop is. Yeah. So it's just a sort of prod to like get you out. Like, okay, I need to be making like catches of the day. I need to be bringing them in fresh so that I can have more money because if I let them go stale or even like expire, like, I'm not going to be able to pay off my debt. And then what, like you can pay off your debt in basically the first day or two. It is not a long time before that, but at that point you are already in the, the conveyor belt of, okay, now that's opened up more avenues. I now can get new equipment. I can get upgrades for the things that I currently have. I like, there are reasons to continue making money in this way. Um, Yeah. So it's just a really good beginning. First of all, they set the tone really well with like creepy, like foggy night. You're out on a boat. You don't know what's really going on. The characters staring ahead blankly and like all of a sudden you're you're crashed on and you don't know what your fate is immediately. Like that's a great opening to a mm-hmm. game. And then to have to immediately throw you in and just say like, okay you have to make money and get you interested in the mechanics and how all that loop is going to work. Like absolutely great. One, two punch. I love it. Yeah. 
that debt, just like you said, kind of serves to push you out there and introduce you to all of the things that are going to make you want to keep playing, basically. So it'll introduce you to the fishing minigame, it'll introduce you to upgrading your boat, and it will get you a little bit more story flavor as you continue to go out. And uh, so we'll talk about the fishing. That's the first part of the loop. Um, The main things that you do when you're out and about is either fishing or dredging up salvage materials uh, from the bottom. So the way you do this is these um, simple timing-based mini-games. There are different variations on it, and I like that they're a little bit different for different kinds of fish. Mm -hmm. It really mixes it up. If you were doing the same like QTE-type thing for all 10 or 15 hours, it would have gotten old. But I never really like got tired of these. They were always like just engaging enough. They're not hard, but they're just hard enough that I had to pay attention, you know? And they're just familiar enough so that you're not going from one thing to another being completely like, oh God, I have to remember 20 different things. Like they're all fairly structured. Similarly, you're given some sort of like hit the X button to in a certain window, but in this mm-hmm. particular window, it's going up and down, and this window is going left and right, you know? So you are familiar enough with the mechanics that you're like, okay, I know what to do, but it's just twisted enough for you to be like, oh, this is not the same, you know, stale mechanic over and over again, which is very thoughtful, I think, on the developer side. Right. Um, and one of the ways that these mini games work is that the fish will automatically be pulled up as you are like in the mini game, but it's really slow. And we'll talk about this in a second, but time is like one of your most precious resources in this mm-hmm. game. So you need to do these mini games to get things on the boat as quickly as possible. And sometimes you get into situations where you're doing the mini game for like the dredging, which is a little bit different. It's like, um, it's like a, a a ball on a track and you need to like keep switching tracks to make sure that you don't bump into an obstacle. Like think of a, a minecart puzzle or something like that in a different game, kind of like that. Um, sometimes you'll find yourself in situations where you're like, I'm running out of time. I need to do this perfectly. Otherwise I'm going to be in danger here in a bit. And those were kind of cool, kind of frantic white knuckle moments at the beginning, at least. Um, so during the fishing mini game, uh, you'll pull up fish. A lot of the spots you go to can pull up multiple fish. Um, mm-hmm. And then sometimes this is another thing that like put another hook uh, or another, well, another pun, threw some more bait out into the water for Dave here. <laughs> sometimes you'll pull up a mutated fish. And this wow. was uh, in the trailers. They showed this. So it's not a big spoiler that you'll do this, but you get this really creepy sound effect. The designs on these mutated fish are like really are gross so and cool. So unsettling. It's yeah, just... they're gross. And then if you read <laughs> the descriptions of the fish, if you go into your encyclopedia, because another big part of this game is like just filling out your sort of Pokedex yeah. of species. Uh, if you read the descriptions, they're all just like gut-wrenchingly bad. You're just like, oh, I didn't need to read that. Like, yeah, they're, they're okay. very creative. Uh, yes. And... The writing we've talked about before, but the writing is really good throughout the game and the way that they describe things. So pulling up these mutated fish, they're worth more if you sell them at the shop. Sometimes people send you out on quests to catch specific fish or they'll say, hey, 
bring me a couple of those weird fish and uh, then I'll, I'll tell you what you need to know. So there is a lot of fish in the game too. Like without checking the the fish decks, I would guess there's like at least 50, maybe like 70 different types of fish and crabs and squid and stuff like that. Then there's all these mutated variants too. So if you're a completionist, there's a lot of uh, catching to go do. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, not only species of fish, but like where the fish live matter. Yeah. Because if you have a fishing reel that's good for deep diving oceanic fish, that same reel won't be able to catch fish in the shallows. So you do have to eventually make enough money to buy the equipment necessary to capture crabs or to capture like uh, sharks or like things in different like swamps or, or any of the different like locales that you do eventually go to in the game, mm-hmm. which is another way that they keep you on this treadmill of, like I need to be making you like this whole time you start to shift from just the fishing being the main thing to the actual story which starts to become more and more your focus but at the same time you do have to remember like oh I have to keep catching fish because I have to like upgrade my boat I need more space because space is another one of those limited resources and yep. Um, time, time is such, you brought this up already, but we haven't really, uh, dived into it too much, but, right. um, <laughs> of time being a very interesting resource because when you move or you are fishing, t- the, the clock is ticking. Yeah. If you stop to like, at, at any point, if you're just on the water, you, the time stops. So it's a really interesting dichotomy because you can't just wait out anything. You do always have to be moving for the time to be moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to the greater marrow the first time, the mayor is very clear with you that you don't want to be out in the darkness. Right. Um, which of course made me want to immediately figure out why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go see what's going on. And then, as you, um, I don't know, is it a spoiler to say what happens as you go into the darkness? As you go into the darkness, things start to happen. Um, yeah. I'll we'll we'll just, yeah, we'll just say that the night is dark and full of terrors. I'm full uh, of terrors. Yeah. Um, so I really like, there's a couple other games I really respect for, like, they tell you not to go out at night and they mean it. And like, so it, it's not like, um, you know, some RPGs, they'll say like, oh, nighttime is dangerous. Make sure you're back in the city. But like, you're not going to die at night in Skyrim because you're out at nighttime. It's fine. Uh-huh. Uh, but this game, Dragon's Dogma is another one I really love where like nighttime is scary. It is dark and there's bad stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and it's not like in this game, there's going to be monsters coming up out of the woodwork trying to kill you every second when you're out at night. But it's like it's freaky out there and it's a it's a visual design thing and sound design thing yes. that really like sells how scary the night is. And uh, I found myself really like I think we said earlier at the show, it's uh, so six o'clock marks the beginning of nighttime. And if it's at like four, I'm like, all right, where is the port? 
I got to start moving back. That Starting way. to get nervous. Like there yeah. are a couple of times I'm like out in the wider ocean and I realize it's getting to be like late afternoon. I'm like, Oh no, I yeah. don't know where to stop. <laughs> this is going to be terrible. And like a lot of the times it was terrible because things happen in the nighttime that can really uh, impede what you're doing yeah. or hurt your boat. Like this is not a hard game. This game was not meant to be inaccessible. Right. But during the night times, I did have a couple of run-ins that I, where I quote unquote died, you know? So Mm -hmm. like, it is a very interesting mechanic in that it really does make you feel like you do not want to be out there in the dark. It is uh, mechanically unrewarding to go out at night. Yeah. Um, And Another thing that like kind of pushes you away from being out at night is you accumulate a a kind of sanity stat uh, when you're out. You have a stat, it's called panic. And um, I played the whole game not really understanding how it works. So like if if there's like one thing I'm going to point to in this game that I played it and I was like, I have no idea how this works because everything else is so tight and like well explained and intuitive, even if they don't have to explain it. Uh, the sanity stat, I was just like, I see this eyeball bulging around at the top of the screen. There's a meter, but like, I don't know what happens if it fills up. I don't even know how it's visually shown if it is full. This is like my one thing. I was like, I don't get this. Uh, Could have probably done without it. So this is my, um, this is why I'm very glad I got the chance to meet the developers at okay. Day of the Devs. Um, and they did explain some of this. So the eyeball actually changes colors if you're looking at the pupil and like when it gets to red you're like maximally uh panicked so there are Mm -hmm. different colors that kind of show you the shades and then it does re uh re-sanitize you if you if you stop in to a port and sleep and And that's really the only way to like get it down so at the beginning you'll like you'll start this is going into spoilers so maybe I'll wait to fully go into that. But like, okay, there are lesser things that happen and then they grow bigger and bigger as you go on. Okay. I'll just say now then, like without spoilers, that I never saw the maximum panic for multiple reasons. And uh, yes, we'll get into that more in spoilers for sure. Um, other stuff at night. Uh, there is lots of like random lights and like uh, kind of Aurora looking lights, except they're red uh, and lots of other different colors too. But um, good, uh, good sound effects that are out there. You really like, like we said it before, like you really feel like you shouldn't be out there. There are like actual things out there that make it, um, uh, how do I want to put this? There are things out there that will hurt you for being out there. Um, but I did like, again, like I said, it's not like, Oh, it's six Oh five. A monster comes out and kills you. Cause you were out. Like you can be out there. Yeah. You could play the entire game and, and never go into dock and just trudge on your way through midnight. And, <laughs> uh, it would be really difficult. Yeah. One of the things I really enjoy about this game is, um, we talked about space being another one of the uh, restraining factors. 
Uh-huh. And and the space in your boat, your inventory, the space you have to put fish in is limited to the size literally of your boat. So yeah. it is like a grid space. Yep. Inside that grid, you have to fit everything your boat needs. So you need to fit your motors, you need to fit your lights, you need to fit your fishing gear. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, then you can put in all the fish in a kind of like Tetris style. The fish yeah. come in like little shapes that you can move around and try to jam in. And if you get everything uh, absolutely perfectly fit, there is an achievement, which I was very excited to get. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, but the cool thing about that is if you are in your boat and you hit something and you take on damage... First of all, you can only hit four things in a row and your boat will sink. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to go back and make sure that you are uh, fixing your boat anytime you take on any damage. But if you hit something at the front of your boat, we'll say, and it hits the hull, it will hurt the corresponding space in your inventory. Mm -hmm. So if you were carrying a fish in that space, that fish has now been lost overboard. So you've completely lost a whole catch because you've hit something. Or let's say you hit like the back of your boat. Now one of your motors or your entire motor is completely gone. So you have to (laughs) like slowly paddle your way back to somewhere. Right. It's a really awful feeling when you damage. Like at the beginning of the game, you just have one motor. So mm-hmm. if that gets damaged, it's a really bad feeling to kind of putz your way across the entire ocean trying to get back to your port or something. Mm-hmm. I really love arranging the fish and the stuff in the grid. Uh, this is, you know, uh, Resident Evil 4's inventory yeah. for people who played that. But in Resident Evil 4, your your case is a very neat rectangle. And your boat is not a very neat rectangle. And then when you introduce in there, like you said, your fishing poles will fit in designated spots and it will leave these weird little nooks and crannies. So you can imagine like catching a fish and then just being like, oh, there's some space behind the engine. Let me just toss it back there Mm -hmm. uh, until I get it back to port. I really loved arranging these things, um, but I love doing this stuff in every game that has it. So I'm, I was happy to see it here. Right. And it's especially difficult when you are trying to catch that one more last fish and you catch a fish that's maybe one of the grotesque fishes that now has a different shape. And you're like, mm. dang it, I don't have any space for this. So you have yeah. to manage a lot of that. And it sounds like it could be frustrating, but somehow it's just very, very satisfying. Yeah. One of the things that kept it from being super frustrating is that when you get to port, you let's say you have like a key item or um, let's say you pulled up a bunch of wood because you need materials for upgrades. You don't have to carry that wood until you complete the upgrade. You can put it in storage. Uh, You can kind of like pay off part of the price of upgrading. So like if say it takes three logs of wood to upgrade something, you can deposit two and then you can just bring one more back later and it'll be fine. So little stuff like that kept the inventory limit from being frustrating. Mm -hmm. And it was all like fun times for me trying to Tetris around these salmon and stuff to try and fit in my boat. Um, the The other thing is a lot of the big 
valuable fish are they're either really big or they have really weird shapes yeah. that are hard to like bring multiple on board. So oftentimes like I would be like, oh, I really would like to catch this like sailfish or something like that, but I I don't have any space for it. So I either have to throw away like six other fish to make space or just no sailfish. Yeah, it's a good way of keeping from uh, continuously trying to get like the high level fish just to like game the system, which I thought yeah. was a really clever sort of meta mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, it, and also a really good reason, again, the like the loop of buying more to upgrade to buy more, it is a really good reason for you to upgrade the size of your fishing vessel. Yeah. It was always the first upgrade I made What whenever I unlocked like the next section of like the upgrade tree is mm-hmm. like find the one that makes it bigger because I need that right away. Yeah, it was that one. And then anything that would help me go faster. So I was always yeah. like bigger boat, faster uh, motor. And it's really funny when you get higher level motors and you sort of think about what it was like. Like in the beginning where you're just like, I'm going like five miles an hour. I'm yeah. going <laughs> and then you really do get to be zooming around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so back to, I wanted to ask you this about the time thing. Cause we said time ticks really quickly mm-hmm. uh, in the game. So like you, you don't have time to go out and do multiple goals in one day. Like if you have like a, I'm going to go here and try and catch this fish that's probably going to take up most of the daylight hours. So did you find it frustrating how fast time ticked by? Or was that just another one of these like, well, I am fishing. It is a slow process to catch fish. It kind of makes sense. Um, it wasn't frustrating to me. To me, it was. It, it's limiting, but in the way that makes you want more. Mm-hmm. So instead of being frustrated, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to like, because again, when you're going out fishing, you're going past different islands, you're going past uh, like different environments. And maybe you your plan was to go out and catch a certain sort of fish. But as you're going by, you see out of the corner of your eye, like a shipwreck. And you're like, oh, but I really do need wood. So let me go check that. Yeah. And then as you're by the shipwreck, there's actually like, a person that survived the shipwreck and they want you to do something too. And you're like, oh, dang it. Now <laughs> I have to figure out whether or not I'm going to help them or. Yeah. But the game also has a lot of nice things to help you with that. So you talked about um, being able to store your stuff, like the storage is available to you at any dock. And yeah. most places that you will go by even if it's like deserted islands or whatever will have its own little dock that you can dock at and you can sleep at and you can um put stuff into storage and then once it's in storage it's available everywhere in storage so you don't have to like carry it around so there were definitely times when i'm like i did not expect to be you know halfway across the ocean helping some random stranded person when I really thought I was just going to go out fishing and like get some wood for my upgrade. But you know, that's where I am now. And I enjoy that, like not knowing where you're going to end up at the end of the day. Yeah. It was cool how 
If you do go out fishing and get sidetracked, whatever you get sidetracked by is also valuable, like a valuable way to spend your time. Mm -hmm. So I didn't often find myself being like, oh, there's a stranded person here. I need to catch fish instead. If I go help that stranded person, they're going to give me something that will make it worth my time, basically. Uh, And they're going to be weird people to talk to. So I'm going to enjoy the conversations. So that was cool. And I never really felt like I had to go out and grind for money, which is another thing that like it would have, I don't want to say it would have tanked the game, but like it would have been annoying to be like, oh, I actually need like thousands of dollars for the next upgrade and I don't have any. So I have to go grind up. Never happened. Yeah, it is very well designed in that way. It's it's one of those things like you can't even really point to how it's done it. But like you say, like, there are times when new upgrades open up and I'm like, okay, I need to start making my way towards that. But I was never like, oh, well, that's so far out of my reach. I'm not even going to try or that's going to put my whole whatever objective I was doing on the backlog until I actually can do this. So Mm -hmm. it is a very good system of following the narrative helps with. Uh, upgrading upgrading helps with the narrative going to like finding those random encounters are they're always tied to back to the story there's never Mm -hmm. anything that's just like oh that was completely a one-off that meant nothing and i feel silly for having engaged in that but yeah it's it's not a really like big map either so I've we've we've talked about a lot of ways that like the game is really finely tuned and like every design choice they made seems to fit together really well in like the pace of how quickly you should be progressing or like oh upgrades just got more expensive if I follow the next story objective I'm going to go to a new place that has more expensive fish and more upgrade materials and stuff like that all of that stuff is really finely tuned and then the the game world itself is big it it would take you like multiple days to sail across it but days are really short in this game it's not really like a big time commitment on my part uh, as a player which also means that like it's the ocean it's full of empty space because the ocean is you know it's pretty empty most of the time but it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel empty because i know i'm just a couple minutes of real time away from a new place. And there's always fish everywhere you go. Right. There's fishing spots. And there's stuff happening usually like when you go into like the open waters, like it starts messing with you a little bit. So mm-hmm. like there's always <laughs> that element of it too. You're never just like, oh, this is a nice day for fishing and enjoying yeah. your time. There's always a reminder in the game that something bad is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because we need to be reminded. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's one of like my big takeaways from the gameplay is just like I said there every aspect of the gameplay with how expensive things are, how valuable the things you find are, um how much it takes to upgrade, um the availability of resources, all of that feels so well tuned in the game to just make it almost effortless like to make progress every time you play which is something that like a game that's this long uh you know 10 hours ish should make me feel like i'm making progress every time i play 
Uh, so I, I just like, I can't give them enough compliments for how well all these pieces fit together with mm-hmm. the story too. Yeah. So let's uh, take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we'll talk about visuals and music and kind of give some wrap up thoughts before spoilers. Jill, how would you describe the visuals of Dredge? You know, they're fairly minimalistic. Yeah. Which is sort of... It's weird that I I don't think of it that way, though. Because, like, all of the language is imbuing it with a certain amount of personality Mm -hmm. that actually looking at pictures of it, it looks a little more minimalistic than I remember it being, which is a really interesting dynamic yeah but it it is beautiful um and as you play the visuals like that sort of baseline canvas allows for them to play a lot with the things that are happening yeah for sure (laughs) minimalist in a way that there's not a lot of extra detail that's unnecessary out there when you're out on the ocean or when you're looking at an island from the boat. When you dock somewhere, you don't go into town and walk around. You mm-hmm. pick from a menu who you want to talk to, like minimalist in that way. And the the character designs are all interesting and uh, oh, cool yeah. and you know weird in their own way. No one looks normal in this game. Um, <laughs> everyone's having a hard go of it right. out there. They're uh, very like whatever's inside is outside. So like uh-huh. the fisherman is super like hunched over and like the, the boat repair woman is just like always kind of scowling and all of the mm-hmm. picture character art is, is almost kind of painterly. This very beautiful, like almost hand painted brush style mm-hmm. that is not like the rest of the game is not in that style, so, but yeah. it is just this very uh, beautiful thing for, dialogue interactions uh to make those just that much more special um it is like even though not a lot of detail like it's just a very beautiful game yeah we talked before about the designs for the fish uh those are really great so even if you're listening to this and you're like you're thinking to yourself i'm just listening to this episode i'm not going to play this game go Mm -hmm. just like look up the designs of the fish and the mutated versions because they're really cool uh, yeah. So those are great. And the big like visual design thing that that stood out to me was how when things do start to get spooky, like this game has a pretty soft color palette, I think. Um, and then when things get spooky, they start to get into these real bright, like red, green, blue, uh, these kind of like the edges of things will have these kind of refracted. Uh, yeah you know, images. Right. It's like the colors are literally being pulled apart. Like your brain is not able to fathom the world in the way that you're used to seeing it. It's just this really fantastic visual metaphor for the sort of insanity that you are experiencing. And the more and more you do that, the more and more you can see the uh, 
red, green, and blue really pulling apart. And that mm-hmm. is like your reality is is tearing. And it's such a great, great uh, visual. And it's really discombobulating for the player. So yeah. I'm always 100% like, I just need this to stop. I need to go back to the port to sleep. <laughs> yeah, Because like, this is off-putting yeah. in such a great way. It's a really simple choice to um, visualize that kind of panic or madness in like a super simple way. But, you know, you don't have things like, uh, well, you do have things like closing in on the periphery. That's a lie. That does happen too. But it, it's not like there are things jumping out at you all the time. It's it's a much more kind of basic, but almost more unsettling way right. of like the things that you thought you knew like what they look like now that's getting warped and that's creepy. And the tension is just never cut. You know, the tension just draws and draws and draws because you're not going to get the, the release of the jump scare for the most part, you Mm -hmm. are going to consistently just feel more and more pulled apart and freaked out and worried that something's behind you and you, the player, start to get paranoid. That's something I love in games when they make the player feel something. So, like, there are times in this game when I am out too long and I, me playing, don't know whether or not I'm, a, like, did I see that? Was that there? Or yeah. if that's the game actually doing something. I can't tell the difference between my paranoia and the game's paranoia. And that's fantastic. Right. That that kind of stuff, or just just a little like um, flash of color out in the periphery somewhere, quick enough that like you'll notice it, but you're like, I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was really happening because I wasn't focusing on that part of the screen. Probably better on PC in that way. I played on Switch, and I play Switch handheld all the time, so small mm-hmm. screen. Um, but I definitely did get that effect uh, as well, even on the small screen. Um, the music in this game, I think, is really like laid back, but excellent in its own way. Um, like really melodic, but like really sad uh, and spooky piano. And uh, I want to say like accordion or like an organ or something like yeah, that. Something fishery. Yeah. <laughs> Nautical. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's it's a really good music, too. It's a soundtrack that like kind of lays back sells the like overall tone of the game when you're out fishing or exploring or when you're in town too. Uh, they have songs that play there too, but it's never like this big bombastic in your face. This is a really tense moment type of uh, music. It's it's more just like that tension comes from the visuals and sound effects, I think, more than music. Yeah, music is definitely playing a supporting role here, but it is never jarring. You know, it's... you. It is good because you're never really uh, aware of it. Mm-hmm. But it is a it is a melody that I would find myself humming um, mm-hmm. <laughs> after I would play because it, it's like there's some catchy piano melodies and they're really nice. So that's good. And then I, I just mentioned this, but I do want to again say that again when you're out on the boat out at night, um, the sound effects are really great at spooking you. Yeah, sound design great here. Absolutely. Like 100% like most horror uh, is is the sort of effects that are behind everything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in this game, it's 100%. Like, I don't know why I'm so freaked out. Like, I'm literally just on a, a span of water. <laughs> I'm that... doing a fishing mini game right yeah, now. Like, I'm doing exactly. a timing mini game, but what was that sound I just heard? Yeah. You know? But every, yeah, every two seconds you're looking over your shoulder to make sure you're, you're still okay. And you're like checking the time and watching the sun go down. Like this fish better hurry up and get caught. Yep. Yep. So pretty good praise, like solid praise across the board, I think for, for visuals and music here, but I did want to shout them out because they're really good. And, um, we, we've said before, but like the stuff you're actually doing gameplay wise is very simple. You're either driving your boat or you're doing these timing-based minigame things. So like, where is all this spookiness going to come from? And we already said it's not, you know, jump scares all the time. It's coming from really good music, really good sound design. And like we said, that really cool red, green, and blue uh, visual effect. Yeah, it's all the atmosphere. This game is like uh, atmosphere personified. So fantastically masterly done. Yes. And that is a good segue to get into some quick final thoughts for the end of the non-spoiler section here. So Jill, uh, during this section, we just want to answer the question, who would you recommend Dredge to? Uh, I essentially recommend it to anybody. Like I have a friend who I even tried to uh, get to play who is uh, like a big scaredy cat. Um, And so it, it, it is not a game that will scare you in that sort of sense it is just a much more sort of thoughtful scare than like an actual like boo uh, i'll scare mm-hmm. you to death so like anybody who's usually not into horror this is probably a good game for them just a kind of like good spooky like atmospheric feel rather than like uh, i'm being cut open and blood and gore <laughs> and stuff yeah but um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are people out there who, for whom this would not be their jam. Like mm-hmm. anybody who needs a lot of action in a game or uh, has the tendency to like not read into things or like if you're going to skip over dialogue or um, like messages you pick up, like you might be missing out a little bit on this game, but I don't think that this this would be an easy recommendation for like basically anybody for me. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think it's a good point that you brought up. This would be a good game for people who don't play a ton of video games and maybe don't have like huge familiarity with like complex control schemes and stuff like that. Yeah. Because driving the boat's really simple. It's just the the stick. That's all you're doing when you drive the boat. And then catching fish is really simple. You just press the button with the right timing. That's it. That's all you're doing. And there's, you know, menuing and stuff like that, but, you know, we can figure that out. So for people who don't play a ton of video games, this might be a good one. I still identify as a scaredy cat and someone who (laughs) doesn't really love horror games, even though I do like horror games. Um, I don't like being jump scared all the time, and I really appreciate horror that finds other ways to freak me out. And this one is a great one for that. So if you're like me and you really hate being jump scared all the time or like that, that constant like rise, rising tension and then boom, jump scare release and then rising tension, then another, you know, big thing. This isn't that kind of game. So people like that, but 
Really, it's a really easy recommendation for a lot of people. Like you said, the only people I would say don't play this are um, if you, like you said, if you're going to skip all the dialogue and not read anything, the story is probably not going to do much for you. And if you hate crafting, this is a crafting game. There's no getting around it. Mm-hmm. But I personally identify someone as as someone who doesn't like crafting in a lot of games. Um, but the way it's built around it and how well everything is tuned here really worked for me. So count me in the side that thinks that's a win for this game. So um, before getting into spoilers, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping here. So Jill, I'm going to put a link down in the show notes for the Indie Informer, but is there another place anywhere else out there that you would like people to come find you? Yeah. Uh- website um i do have a twitter and for as long as twitter's around um and that is uh at finrun that's f-i-n-r-u-i-n you can check me out there and i post all of my stories so you can keep up with what's going on yeah um and again i'll give another plug for people to check out uh, the indian former it's uh it's good reading uh, you'll find games on there that you probably haven't heard of and even if it's games that you have heard of, um, I think think you're a good writer and I like what you're doing. So I'll give a plug for everyone to go check that out. Um, for this show, uh, I would like to have more people join the Discord server and come hang out. we got a great community of people and you'll find an invite link for the Discord server down in the show notes. Uh, come join us, be a part of the group. We're having a good time and we'd love to have you. Um, otherwise, normal supporting podcast stuff like leaving a rating and review if you enjoy the show, that's really helpful. And if you want to support monetarily, there is a Patreon page uh, where you can get bonus episodes, vote on games for the show and stuff like that. Um, I also have another show. If you want to hear me talk about stuff that's not video games, it's called a top three podcast and we do top three lists. So lots of other stuff uh, on that show. I think it's a good time. So Jill and I are going to take a break, and when we come back, it's full spoiler time for Dredge. Okay, Jill and I are back and it's time for full spoilers for Dredge. And we're not going to go like chronologically through the story in this game. We're probably going to spoil things that are like late game uh, revelations fairly soon. So if you don't want to be spoiled for Dredge, I'm actually warning you like it's the spoiler section, but it's like the capital S spoiler section. So mm-hmm. go, go play. Yeah, <laughs> go play the game. It's good. Um, so We'll probably just start this out by talking about some of our favorite or least favorite areas that you go to. There's four main areas that you go to. I think it's four. Looking for stuff for the collector, uh, who's a character we'll talk about in a bit. But mm-hmm. all of these areas have their kind of gimmicks. They all have a a puzzle of sorts to to either figure out, not really figure out, but like a sequence of things you have to do in order to get the thing for the artifact or the the collector. So were there any of these that stood out to you either way, good or bad? I think the whole, I liked them. I liked that they were all, uh, 
kind of like the fishing mini games, familiar in that you're going to the place to get the thing, and you have to do the thing to get the thing. Yeah. Uh, but they they uh, mix it up just enough so that I wasn't feeling like okay, this is fetch quest after fetch quest. Like I I'm glad that I didn't feel that way because it could have really turned that way for me. Um, I think my favorite was kind of the swamp area just because it freaked me out the yeah. most. Mm-hmm. Um, it took away by the time that I got to the swamp, I was able to like zoom around and I was feeling a lot more confident that I could like outrun anything that would creep me out. And then what they did was put me in a, a labyrinth where my speed meant nothing because if yeah. I go too fast, I'm going to crash into something. And now I have these monsters that are like kind of the like always present sort of actual monster like it's actually happening there is a monster there you yeah. know, sort of thing and i like going out and like finding all these wreckages and helping the guy who like couldn't find himself like he's so in trauma traumatized by what he's gone through like he's yeah. it's part of him now and so he's like part of this swamp. yeah well, yeah i think there's just a lot of cool stuff going on in that particular section uh i do like getting uh the explosions explosives in that first section um and kind of exploring the brothers relationship and like why they're not getting along and i think the last place for me was sort of my least favorite like the the vesuvius type ancient uh-huh. uh yep. place uh first of all because like i just hate those dumb fish that yep. would just eat you um like i know you can banish but i'm always super worried about using the powers because they're like watch out it's powers too much something's gonna happen <laughs> yeah. i didn't want to know what it was it it just breaks your boat which was kind of unsatisfying uh to find out that that's what actually happens like uh the one that makes you i forgot to say it in the non-spoiler part but whatever we're we're still talking. So, um, the powers that you get, like the one that makes you go super fast, if you go too fast, it'll just burn out your engine. Um, I thought it was going to do some horrible cosmic horror shit to me if I overuse the powers, but it's not. So that was kind of like, I didn't feel the consequences for using them. It was just like, I'm going to use banish and then I'm going to wait for the cooldown, And then I'm going to use banish again. No real consequences for using it, you know? Uh, but that section, um, was also my least favorite with those little fish. Um, just because like I would get myself in situations that's also kind of a, a labyrinth. You're going in these ruins and stuff like that. So there were a lot of times when I was in there trying to like dig something up or like go to one of those statues or something. And those fish saw me, they can see you or hear you from so far away. And they're so fast that like, I would often get them coming up to me and couldn't really do anything about it. I just have to like eat the damage until I could get to one of those, um, air vents that burns them off. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my least favorite. I figured it out eventually, but, um, most of these places also give you like, um, uh, like you have to go get this specific type of fish, uh, and they'll just show you like an outline of the fish. They won't, um, they won't give you a ton of information about how. So I always thought it was pretty fun to figure out what I need 
and go try and catch different fish. And in that last section, they make you use the crab pots, which I had kind of forgotten about. Um, so that part of that part was cool, but those fish were really fucking annoying, but yeah. that's probably the point I think. Yeah. And I think you're, you're sort of getting to the end. So you just kind of want to know how it, how it wraps up and you're like, okay, yeah. I get it. There's like, this is a pattern. It's repeating itself. Um, another thing I really loved, I, I, and it probably should be frustrating, but I loved it was in the like tropical area. The first time I went there, uh, it was like dark. It was in the middle of the night, and I could like see like the, the lovely fluorescence mm-hmm. in the middle of the crater. And I just, you know, being foolish and just having <laughs> come here for the first time, I'm like, oh, this is real pretty. It went right out into the middle and got snapped. Yeah. Was, That's fantastic. Okay. I love that too. I, I love the, um, I love the feeling of danger in that area because. I think that's like the second of four. Like you have two more after that. You go to the swamp and then the volcano. Mm-hmm. So like I think by that point I was I was starting to get pretty comfortable with how the game worked. And so some of the fear of the unknown was starting to go down a little bit. And then suddenly I'm going to this area that has this just killer monster and yeah. something new, something new to to make me nervous. And like, so when I'm like navigating that area, it's like, I'm going to go around the outside of this, yeah. <laughs> this, uh, this basin here. So that was cool. I like that part a lot. Okay. Big question. Yeah. Did you encounter the dog? I didn't know. Oh, nope. dang it. Cause the part two is what did you decide to do with the dog? Okay. So because, tell me about the dog. So, uh, there is a sort of abandoned village, uh, it was kind of like a, a nice little like getaway islands, little round mm-hmm. area, like little round houses, and like they're on the beach and they've got little piers, and it looks like under normal circumstances it would be lovely, but it's totally abandoned. Um, and if you crawl up on one side of it, you encounter a dog who's just like barking and happy to see you, and if you uh decide to sort of like throw some fish its way and then pet it, it will come with you onto your boat. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So like, and you know, of course they let you pet the dog, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, when you encounter the other character, the like scientist character, mm-hmm. you have the option to let the dog stay with her. And she like, you know, she's so lonely and like no human being she can she can't be around human beings right now and she's like so excited to have the dog mm-hmm. or you could selfishly decide to keep the dog because okay. it's adorable <laughs> right um so i wrestled with this decision quite a bit uh, but ultimately decided to let her have the dog okay so is it a, is it a happy ending with the dog then if you if yeah you let it he's go with very her? happy doing his thing running around on the beach good i'm glad that no uh, Resident Evil shit happened. Uh, if you give her <laughs> the dog, that's cool. Uh, I, I must've missed that. I, I remember the village you're talking about, but maybe I just didn't stop there. Maybe I was yeah. panicked or something, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's yeah. just like far enough away where it's like, it's not near any of the objectives. Okay. Um, so you would have to be sort of in a weird place to find them. Yeah. In that area, I, I was real focused on taking care of that monster. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was cool. Um, and, and yeah, the, the swamp area was cool too. I love how the game pretty quickly gave me the feeling that like, whenever I find someone out there, either in that swamp or on some island or someone, they're not going to be okay. Yeah. And even more not okay than a castaway would normally be. Like, yeah. you know, they've seen some, some shit out there. Yeah. So when I saw that guy, I was like, oh, well, I got to go talk to him, I think. But like, I hope he doesn't try and pull something, you know. Like he'll so, jump on your boat and kill you and, right. and take it from you. Yeah. We, <laughs> we didn't talk about this earlier, but like when someone does join you, you have to make space for them on the boat, uh-huh. which I always thought was funny. Just putting someone sideways on the boat or something. <laughs> Um, right next to all these fish yeah just just jump on the pile of cod it'll be fine you'll be (laughs) smelly but whatever yeah so um let's get into the story okay i'm ready um talk about let's talk about the backstory first i think so this is the story that you get through the notes uh the Mm -hmm. messages in the bottles so i don't know how many there are like 10 or 12 something like that yeah I missed a couple of them. Did you find all of them? Yeah. So like the basic, as you're uh, collecting these, you piece together a story of a woman who is ecstatic to be engaged to someone who is tied to a boat, fisherman or something right. of that sort. Um, then the the chronological order is very interesting in that you get engaged, and the next thing that happens is that his mother dies, mm-hmm. and that's such a weird like. Why is that the next thing that happens in this story? I think <laughs> it's just another just creepy thing. She leaves you a pocket watch. Uh, you get married. You go on your honeymoon. There is a very important naming ceremony that happens for the boat. Right. Uh, it and as you sort of are reading these stories, you realize that you are reading the story of the book that the collector has. Right. Like this book that is giving you powers and how it came to be found and what tragedy struck after that. And after actually the, the log that has the book, basically you get this really creepy, like I'm so cold like I'm trying to find him and I can't like you're, you're not getting dates anymore. You're not getting like who's writing anymore. So mm-hmm. it can be interpreted a lot of different ways because it's like, is the woman still writing these? Is the man in the story writing these? Is this a, mm-hmm. a, a note from a third party? Like, it's a very interesting, like you can interpret the story differently. And then you start to get like just receipts of like, Oh, so this is how the different artifacts that you're searching for, this is how this came to be in this person's possession, and this is how mm-hmm. this is connected. Um, and you're sort of piecing those parts together. So it is a very interesting, like, you don't necessarily need any of that backstory to get the story. The basic story is you find a guy, or a guy finds you uh, interested in a business proposition. He wants you to go about the oceans collecting things for him that are artifacts beyond monetary value to him. So if you were to never pick up a bottle, 
that would be the whole story. It's like, okay, I found this weird guy on an island, picking up all the different things. There's something creepy going on here. You give it to him, the world ends. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's interesting to me is sort of my first time playing. Like, I, I've seen, like, there are multiple endings to this game. Right. Um, and in a way, there are multiple endings to the multiple endings. Sort of. Okay. Um, so in my first kind of experience of this game, I knew I was 100% on board, Cthulhu Reborn, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Grabbed all of the artifacts, brought them back to the collector. Me and the collector go, he throws everything overboard. Cthulhu comes back, dead wife comes back. Yeah. Everyone explodes, the world ends. Yeah. But if you go back, and this is like ending one part two, I guess. Uh huh. If you go back and you question the collector, you will have an altercation with him. Right. Which causes you to punch him in the face. And right. the first thing that, like, the description is so good because it's so confusing until you see the visual and they just right. let you rest on, on the description, the words for a minute. It says, as you punch him, his face shatters to the ground. You're like, what the heck kind <laughs> of craziness is this? Yeah. But then a second later, the visuals pop up and you see that the whole time you've been speaking to a mirror. Yep. And it's such a like, oh no, I'm the I'm the I'm the bad guy. I'm the collector. I've been him the whole time. Right. And then you kind of rethink all of the events uh, of the past. So like, but you're like, but I met him at like a different place. How could he possibly? But then you remember, oh, the first time I actually quote unquote met him, I was looking through the window of my boat. Uh huh. So, like I was seeing my reflection talking to me. Yeah. So I've been crazy this whole time. Right. Uh. And the collector is not from the boat giving you these powers uh, from the book. Uh, you've had the book the whole time. The whole right? time. It's the Tyler Durden, like the gun's not in your hand, the gun's in my hand yeah. situation. Yeah. And I, so I enjoyed, I got the one where you punch the mirror. Mm hmm. And find out that it's yourself. And then you go out, uh, like you said, you pull the woman out of the water, summon but her out of the water. Interestingly, between the two different things, the pronouns mm. are different. Are they? Yes. So if you go the route of not questioning, it specifically says the collector throws it. He throws it overboard. He reads. So you do not know anything about okay. this. So if you do have the if you do choose to confront him, you have a slightly different ending in that the ending actually says, I throw things overboard. I read I the book. So it's very clear that you are doing all these things. Whereas if you didn't engage with the story any more than that, you will walk away being like, okay, I helped a guy, a bad guy, be a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Versus like, I am the evil. <laughs> like it's such an interesting shift and it's so missable. Yeah. And that's only the first ending. Okay. So before we get into the other ending, mm-hmm. um how many times did you play play through this? Uh the ending? Uh, or or like like did you play through the early portions of the game with the knowledge that you get at the end? No, I haven't. Okay. All right. 
Um, because but, now I want to, because like, what, to what if, am I going to see? Right. To see if it was there right in front of you the whole time. Right. And you just didn't know what to look for. I'm like thinking backwards. I'm like, okay, who knew me? Who would have known me from this area? The right. mayors knew because we found out later in the story, the old mayor went crazy and ran off. Right. There's the, uh, the, there's the, the lighthouse keeper who keeps giving you warnings uh, throughout the game to like drop this kind yeah. of investigation, stop working with the collector. Cause I guess they're like, uh, everyone speaks in such cryptic language in the game, but they're basically telling you like, Hey, drop you. This isn't going anywhere. Good. You need to stop this. Right. Yeah. So like the lighthouse keeper, you'll find more in the second ending about okay. what she knows. And it's like, oh yeah, no one really would have known me. So I am a stranger. Or maybe if they did know me, maybe I'm so drastically altered visually that they just don't know it's me. And it's like, yeah, it makes you want to run back through and be like, okay, what was really happening that whole time? Yeah. Or your character's, you know, mental state has been damaged so badly that like, you might be talking to the you might be talking to the fishmonger and selling him some fish, but if he tries to talk to you, like he's not gonna, no one's gonna get through to your character anymore. Um, right. If you're so purpose driven like this, do they all know that you're? Oh, that's Ted. He's sort of off. Like right. And they're all just sort of playing along with you because there is that moment. I I think it's the fishmonger that you ask, like, what happened to the last fisherman and the answer is like you really just don't want to know like some people right. aren't cut out for this or whatever right like are they humoring me or are they unaware that i existed previously right. was i the previous fisher because that's the implication yeah i got the feeling like you don't want to know because the knowledge that it was you would further break your brain more than it already has been so your character is the person the husband from these like backstory notes, right? Yeah. Yeah. That so, that is my interpretation, yes. Yeah, mine too, which which was really cool to start to pull up things that related to what's going on now. Um, you know, you find out early on that that character in those backstory notes is a fisherman. Uh mm -hmm. I'm a fisherman. Um around Greater Marrow, I'm around Greater Marrow. Uh and then when they start to talk about how they pulled the book up from the depths, uh, I really like the way it was worded. I actually wrote down the quote. It's the the woman writing the note, and she says, they pulled up a wooden casket from the ocean. Um, it opened easily, and crimson cloth spilled out onto the deck. He stared down into the open casket, then turned to me. And in his eyes, I saw the void, which is just like, the cool let's that's cosmic horror shit and i love yeah. it i'll eat i'll eat that up all the time it's so good and then the next note chronologically unless i missed something here you start to get these like you said those weird notes from the woman where there's no dates anymore she's she says it's years since she's felt warm she hopes that he will come back so like is she writing this from the bottom of the ocean or something like right. that Right. It's like, it, it does. I think there is one in between okay. where she's waiting for him or something like that. And it, like, there's a line that's illegible, but uh, like there are two notes uh, subsequent to finding the book where you can kind of see her descent into like madness. Yeah. And that, that one 
is um like okay she's in the she's in the ocean like yeah. that's why she's cold because you can interpret that like oh she's dead mm-hmm. and, but like yeah she's in the ocean and she's not some like romantic person throwing like a message in a bottle out to sea to see if anyone she's literally like under the ocean like this is the only sort of communication method she has and she talks about trying to write messages this is the last letter as if like this is a perfectly normal way of communicating with people and she's frustrated <laughs> that she's not getting answers back mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then um, really cool. there's the what i interpreted to be the last one i think it's just last in the order that i found where Again, I thought it was the woman, but you made a good point that like, there's no reason to assume that it's the woman who writes Mm -hmm. this one, uh, where they say, uh, my darling, I found you at last when I, when you left, I was scattered to the winds, but now I feel almost whole again. There's just one thing left to do. Throw me back. So that throw me back line made me think it was the woman, but who knows? (laughs) No one makes any sense now. Because like, if the woman is already in the ocean, then why does she need to be thrown back? Is it like the the fisherman who's writing this before he becomes shattered and loses his memory? Is this mm-hmm. maybe the lighthouse keeper writing this? Like, I don't yeah, know. It could be someone else entirely. Yeah. So, which moves us to the second ending. Yeah. Which, if you happen across a island between... Uh, Greater Marrow and the ancient civilization, you will uh, find this sort of crazy... Um, like the cultist, you mean? No, no, the out, like an outcast, like a... Oh, so, okay. No, castaway. Okay. Um, and he's just rambling and, and wild-eyed, and oh. when you talk to yeah. him, he's like, throw it back, throw it back, and like, at that point of the story, when you, it, like, before all of the ending happens you don't really know what he's talking about but if you go back and kind of have that ending when you already have knowledge of of what's happened in the end of the game he's talking about for some reason this mayor was on the boat with you and your wife when you found the the book right so it's him he says that the lighthouse keeper was also with you and when he found the book some sort of monstrous thing attacked the boat it's in shambles you the lighthouse keeper and the uh old mayor all got thrown to shore whereas it seems like the wife got devoured by this monster Mm -hmm. and then he's just like reliving this horrible traumatic situation over and over again and he doesn't know it's you but he kind of knows it's you but you Mm -hmm. don't know it's him and so he really fills in a lot of those details of like, oh, this is exactly what happened that day because you don't get a note right. that says. Um, so that's your trigger to go talk to like the lighthouse person who this whole time has known it's you. Yeah. But you don't know it's you. So she's like, throw it away. D- don't do that. If you go talk to the collector and you don't give him the last thing and you confront him and you ask him what what's going on with the book, and you you fight him without ever giving him the last artifact, mm-hmm. you can then go back to the lighthouse keeper, and she will tell you, like, okay, 
are you ready? He's like, I- I've got the book. And she's like in like in the way of like, I've known your I've always known it was you. She's like, you've always had the book, but at least you're lucid now. You're mm-hmm. not raving anymore. So while you're lucid, I'm going to shine my light over to a place in the ocean where you can throw the book away. So instead of going towards the like demonic evil red light, you go towards the lighthouse light, throw the book overboard. And instead of a giant Cthulhu like monster appearing in your wife, um, you are devoured by a giant fish. Oh, okay. (laughs) And then uh, like the Northern lights show up and it's like, you know, the town is not in, shambles like the world is saved everything's good like mm. you've noble sacrificed yourself your love and the book to the betterment of humanity interesting okay yeah so i think i like that better than the cthulhu monster ending i didn't like that because i didn't get any sense that when I was playing the game that this was going to be a story that had a Cthulhu monster, like there are sea monsters in the game, but I, I thought that this was, you know, Lovecraft, but without the Cthulhu basically. And so when that rose up, it felt kind of random to me. And maybe it's because uh, I, so I did find the old mayor. I did talk to him, but I like, I I think I was just like, I'm going to go beat the game now. And so I did the ending. Um, with the collector, obviously with the, the Cthulhu. Um, so I guess I didn't, well, I guess even the knowledge that it was a monster that, you know, broke the ship apart and that's why the, the wife died. Even that knowledge wouldn't suggest to me that it's a, something like this, you know? Mm -hmm. So it felt kind of like, that's where I think this game is so like easy to miss stuff because there is, on Greater Marrow, if you follow the island around back, there's uh-huh. a like a little altar that asks you for a couple of cod or whatever. Right, right. And it, as if you satisfy the amount of cod it asks for, it actually gives you a prophecy of the world ending Greater Marrow in flames. Oh, does it? And yes, and there are a lot of these kind of around that seed the idea of, okay. of these things happening but it's so easy to miss that i didn't catch it until i was like i think three world three locations in because i was like when i was really early on i wasn't like exploring a lot because i was so afraid to be out at the dark mm-hmm. um <laughs> so it is one of those things where it's so easy to miss just little story things like okay. even the first time when you go out into um like the the wide ocean you get a little like rocking sensation and a creepy monster sound and like suggesting there's something following you like the collector it suggests that some mm. beast may be following you or the sea itself doesn't want you to do these things so like there are tiny little seeds of of larger cosmic things happening but you yeah. really would have to be doing a lot to get them yeah like i said i i did a lot of note reading and stuff but like i that's a little bit further than i tend to go when i play games uh, as far as like exploring 
everything. So yeah. And I might have even seen that kind of statue and put the fish in and got the prophecy and just been like, Oh, that was cool. And then forgotten about it. Cause I do do right. that sometimes too. And especially since in the way I think you're supposed to play, it is, I think supposed to be very early on yeah. that you see that. I just happened to miss it. So I got it fairly close to the ending. So I put, I could put those together easier. Right. Yep. But it's definitely a design choice. And it's not a design choice that is inherently meant for the player to understand. Like there is a certain amount of the game that is built Lovecraftian like for knowledge to be missed or or not. Like mm-hmm. I it it is always difficult because it's like yeah, that makes it a lot harder for someone to get the story. Like, it's very possible for someone to have missed a lot of it and, like, yeah. get to the end and be like, okay, I guess a monster just popped out. Yep. Um, but, I, like, it, it's a very interesting concept. And if you are talking with other people in the way that we are now, like, you get a more richer experience of what that game is and then you want to go back and play it. Yeah. It's got to be a tricky situation for... For the developers to decide that they're going to tell the story this way and like give crucial details in very missable situations, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a confident decision to just say, okay, well, some people are going to miss this yeah, if they don't dig and explore around everywhere. Um, so I, I admire the confidence while also at the same time being like, man, it kind of sucks that I missed that stuff. And like, I got to the ending and had I not done a podcast with you telling me about it, I would have just gone the rest of my time just being like, yeah, the ending of Dredge was kind of weird. I'm not sure I liked it. Uh, So it came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's a kind of, um, like I said, I respect the confidence to do stuff like that, but it is going to miss some people like it missed me. Yeah, it is a device that I absolutely love. Like my favorite game uh, that everybody knows is my favorite game is Tunic, which is a game that is centered on this specific idea of Mm -hmm. like, not everyone's going to get everything, but it does leave for a lot of problems with people who are not like me and like have to dig into everything. And like, even I miss things and I have to go back or like I thought I played Tunic like from end to end and then other people are finding things and I'm like, oh gosh, I missed it. Mm-hmm. So like it is one of those games that is built for that specific purpose of like talking to people. But if you're a person who might be like on the end of a pandemic where you're not getting a lot of like social just hanging out time and like mm-hmm. Maybe like I don't have a lot of people in my life who are super into games that I can just hang out with a lot of the times. So yeah. like, yeah, it's very possible that you played the story like uh, fishing was cool. The atmosphere is cool. Don't really get it. But like that, you know, that's the trade off. Yeah. Uh, like so when I play games uh, specifically with those lore notes, um, I will always give them a shot. But a lot of games don't have good enough writing to make me want to, or they're too much. You know, these these notes, these messages in the bottles, they're not very long. So it's not a big time commitment. It's not like reading a codex entry in an RPG or something. Right. 
a lot of games like try to put too much in them or just like the writing's not interesting enough. This game made me want to read all of those things. So that was a big win. And so I did get that really cool backstory. So even with missing out on the ending or like the context for why Cthulhu came up, I still came out of this feeling like that was a pretty satisfying story because I did get the whole backstory of what happened. And that was cool to kind of dig up and piece together like that archaeology. Like some of my favorite games are the Souls games, uh, which require a lot more archaeology than this game requires. But it is kind of fun to read through those and get that history piece by piece. So um, I I do think that it's a good thing in this game that different types of people are going to get different amounts of story or like maybe you're going to get the present day story that the game more or less tells you, depending on what your choices are. You might miss the backstory, but the part that you do get is still probably going to be fairly satisfying on its own. Yeah. Um, and vice versa for my experience. Uh, so it, it's cool. Cool story. Cool uh, cool way that they presented these. Like the way that the present day story is basically given to you if you read the conversations. And then if you do all that digging, you'll get the backstory too. Uh, so kind of giving you some, making you work for some, you know? Yeah. This game's pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Uh, thank you, Jill, for coming on. That's the whole tagline. This game's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of podcast. Uh, how do I, uh, how do I transition into the end? Game good. Game yeah. good. Good yeah. job. <laughs> so thank you, Jill, for joining me. This has been a really good, uh, good conversation. Thanks for having me on. And um, I will recommend again at the end of the show for everyone to go down in the show notes while I'm kind of signing the show off here, go down in the show notes. I'm going to give you time to open it up right now. Scroll down, find the link for the Indian former and check out what Jill's been writing about these days. Um, I read at the time of recording a couple of days ago, you wrote a, uh, a nice little top five games to play while you're sick. Yeah. Uh, which I'm getting over being sick. So right. A turn, you know, just turn what you what you know into content. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that is, I did just put up. I did just put up to an impressions piece on the new DLC for Vampire Survivors. Yep. Tides of the Fuscari. T- Tides of a, a word that they made up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So and and I was having a lot of fun with that while I was sick. So mm-hmm. everyone, go check that out too. Yeah. So again, go down in the show notes. You'll find the Indian former. Check out stuff that Jill has done. Uh, So thank you, everybody, for listening. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.